I'm Murphy, John Murphy. And I'm Humes, Christian Humes. And you're listening to Watchworld. Ah, one of these days. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Uh, on this episode, we'll be continuing our James Bond viewing uh, with 1981's A View to a Kill with Roger Moore. Um, it's our return to Roger Moore. I think the last time we saw him was in the wacky space adventure Moonraker. And it, with that context, this movie feels wildly different, considering that was the last movie that they made. <laughs> and they go from here. Christian, uh, what did you think of For Your Eyes Only? Um, I mean, I sent you a message that was, is this the reason why people don't like Roger Moore? And, and I'll say that as like, we've watched a lot of campy Bonds so far. I mean, the old ones are campy in a different way than they are now, just because no one had put to film what they're put to film with James Bond. You know, it was groundbreaking at the time. It just feels um, old and cheesy today, but you know, it, it is what it is. It's just a perspective thing. But this movie, I just thought like, it felt almost like a parody to me at times. Like it just didn't feel like they cared about James Bond. And it, it like, like the music tones seemed cheesy and like the things they kept getting him into were weird. And James Bond himself didn't feel smooth. He just seemed like an old man that was just like, annoyed that like he still has to deal with this kind of stuff it was like the old man logan of bond except it wasn't cool it was just him like fumbling through more hacks <laughs> yeah I, I, there's definitely times here where he looks like grandpa bond and especially when he's up in in the olympic park area and he's kind of wearing those jackets that make him seem like my grandfather used to wear um yeah i i could I can understand. This movie is a smorgasbord of, I think, different competing elements that don't fit necessarily. I can see where them trying certain things like works in some areas, yeah. um, and we'll talk about them. And then other things, elements like the music, like some of the humor they put in, just don't feel right with, the, with it, what they're trying to do. I also just think they weren't cool, which is why I think like that's the problem with it and why it felt like parody because it almost felt like someone that like doesn't like James Bond made this movie. And so like they just don't understand the it factor that the character is supposed to have and that the movie is supposed to convey. And it's just like yeah. it was like it was missing that it was missing like you could have been he could have been cool and been old and like yeah. annoying. But what's what's weird is I think it's, it's almost the opposite you see with a lot of movies nowadays where nowadays it's like the script may be relatively weak and the story might be weak but all the other departments and elements put in are so strong that you kind of like don't think of it as a bad movie um, right whereas this is the opposite where it's actually like a pretty good story and a pretty strong like overall like i think script for the most part like there's some good elements here it's just everything else about it doesn't work in, right. in a lot of ways and it doesn't and that really shows um you know, because this was the first real, I think, departure in the sense that For Your Eyes Only is, and I realized this as we were diving in, was actually not a full-length book, but a short story within a collection of short stories called For Your Eyes Only um, that Ian Fleming wrote. Um, but actually, the, the short story itself, I just read it right before we, we uh, started recording, is basically the whole Molina, like, revenge thing and the whole, like, pool party uh, shoot the guys who's diving off the diving board. That's directly lifted from the short story. Um, yeah, I mean, so but that's the interesting thing about this, right? Is um, I think maybe that was the problem was they didn't have like a bigger theme to go with in some ways when they made this movie, and so like yeah. maybe that was like there wasn't like a thing to tie Bond. I mean, Bond being married, like having a wife, that's fine. Yeah, see, that, it's it's a little confusing. I, that's understandable. And we can dive, I guess, into the beginning of this uh, movie and the fact that there's a lot of controversial elements with this movie, starting with the opener, because of the context around it and what they did. And it's they shouldn't have done it, but, uh, you know, Albert Broccoli was so pissed off at this other guy, Kevin McClory, and this whole... We can, we'll get into it when we, talk, when we talk about Thunderball, but essentially the rights to Spectre and Blofeld got taken away from the Broccoli's and Eon production oh. um, by this point. And so they were so mad. They're like, we're just going to kill off this character at the beginning of our movie, even though they don't reference him by name or anything. You just, they, it, but they just implied visually through elements that they can get away with. 
that it's Blofeld. Um, See, that's interesting. Um, which, I mean, like, yeah, like visually at the start of this story with the helicopter scene and the villain, I'm like, okay, I'm in. Like the way that opened, as weird as it was, I was kind of like, this is going to be a weird, campy Bond movie. I know I'm here for it. But then I feel like that was almost like the best action set piece of the whole movie. Um, yeah, I, as far as like stunt work, yes. I think it was pretty cool. A lot of the stuff of the guy riding on the outside of the helicopter and it like flying really low into into these buildings. and Yeah, you know, going through the building park. was, yeah, you know. That, all that stuff is really cool. And um, this is also the first time directing of this guy, John Glenn, who was a longtime mm-hmm. editor. So you can kind of tell the the action feels much more like the pace has been picked up a bit more. Um, depending on it, depending on the action scene. <laughs> no, but if you watch like all these scenes, like when like the chase, the ski chase, yeah, this the end with just like going up the cliff. I it's guess like, I was oh see see with the cliff stuff, I felt like man, that was a slog at times. Really? I mean, I had the exact opposite reaction. I think the tension was great there. The tension it, was good for I think. The latter half of it, when the action part starts, but like just the beginning of the climb and stuff, like it just no. But that's all cool because you don't know. It's like Bond, he like almost dies like three times during it. Well, um, well, when we get to that, I'll explain why I was disappointed by okay. it, by it. Okay, but so in the beginning here, it's that's all great. Um, and, and again, it's it, it, because we're watching these movies a little bit out of order from the movies that they were made versus between book release. In a future book, Bond does have a wife. And she dies. And so that's why they're referencing this one um, from On Your Majesty's Secret Service when it was George Lazenby. That's that's the Bond that they're referencing, uh, the movie. Which I'm fine with Bond being married. Like, I think that's an interesting route to take with the character because then it kind of changes up all the femme fatale stuff too. But just like the movie starting out like Bond's wife is dead <laughs> and I'm just kind of Well, like, he's just sort of like, I'm revisiting your grave after what... Uh, a decade basically yeah um, and and you know it, it on your majesty service is one of my favorite stories and and movies actually of the series um and it is nice to see like a a, a main character who's like so cold and just like you know doesn't really treat women with respect or the opposite sex and like, in that movie he falls in love and he ends up getting married and she dies you know spoiler alert at the end um she gets murdered by Blofeld, basically. Yeah, um, and so it's like the one time he ever like let his guard down to get love, like it, get, it, it gets burned for it. Basically, it gets taken away from him. So it is this great character motivation, I think, for future stuff. But right, which yeah, we see it, in it, modern Bond. Yes, and and so, but the, but then on the problem side with that with Roger Moore, it's like referencing this is that he in most of his movies is like women are throwing themselves at him in all these movies for the most part. Right. And he has to like literally throw them off at some point, which is also a little weird because he just seems rich older than some of these other women. Yes. Where it's very hard to watch, um, particularly with the character BB in this movie. You don't say. Yeah. Um, Though when they get to the Countess, that was like, this feels age appropriate. Okay. Yeah, you know, when it, when they were together, I was like, oh, you know, that's that is interesting. Anyway, but we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, opening sequence I think was as far as action is great, but as far as content, makes no sense. I wish they maybe had done something a little bit different, at least not included Blofeld. Yeah, because I mean, the thing I watch with that is like, oh, here's another Bond villain who could easily just end this. And yep, he wants to, to torment him and then lets him get him out of the helicopter. And uh, it's like all Bond villains never had a parent who told them to stop playing with their food. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, but they, they don't listen because their ego is too big for them. Uh, and the other big problem with this also sets up for the rest of the movie is, I, is, a, is a score. I think the score is a really problematic score for this entire franchise. Like they go away from the traditional John Barry like score kind of John Williams-y score that's like timeless and go for a very late 70s, early 80s, disco-y, you know, synthesized yeah. and, version. And that's, of- that's the thing that I think crushes it for me because I think the places where they fumble, maybe not terribly, it's just like the music then just takes away. Like the music could have added and helped so much, but instead it's like it's actually having a negative impact. 
Yeah. Um, whereas I, I would actually really interested if someone recut like a new score, like Ooh. using a, a more traditional score with this. Just use it. a mod or just take one of them, like the like the last or few bonds, take all the from, soundtracks like, and yeah, yeah, from from the similar area, but just like a more orchest- orchestral version of yeah. the score. That'd be sick. Um, and yeah, and I, it would be funny for some of the, especially of this era where they heavily relied on this that makes it so dated. Um, then we get the. You know, main title sequence. We got Four Your Eyes Only by Sheena Easton. I'm I, I'm a sucker for this song. It's it's it a little fine. slow. It's a it's a nice love song. Yeah, I like you, know, you know the water motif. It looked nice. Yeah, it is weird. Like you actually see her singing. Like her floating head is like kind of drifting around the screen, singing to you directly. That's a little weird, but um, you know, I, I, overall, as far as like main title sequence, it's solid. Yeah, and you know. Um, I don't have any problems with that. I mean, it was honestly some of the best music that wasn't the Bond theme in the whole <laughs> yeah. thing. As I'm saying, like that, you know? it works for for the main for the title sequences often. Yeah, um, that's that's okay to date yourself, but I think for the actual in movies like music, that's where you know we have some problems. <laughs> um, so we set up what the plot of the movie is, which is uh, a ship sinks that's secretly a spy ship for the British. It has this ATAC sort of transmission device that it was supposed to get destroyed um but doesn't and so essentially the russians want it because obviously it gives them advantage in the, in the cold war and the british want to like either destroy it or get it back and they're pesky um, and the pe- yeah and they're pesky you know, and it, they're always it pesky. sunk off yeah and it sunk off of albania i guess or near greece so <laughs> um you know it's uh so basically everyone's after this this MacGuffin of sorts um and then at the same time, setting that up, this ship sinking and this thing in play, um, we, we show these like two archaeologists kind of people when their daughter, Melina, um, and they get murdered uh, by plane, by plane machine gun, <laughs> um, which this is what is pulled from the short story is um, what sets Bond off. It's very Dr. No in that in the book, it's... These this couple's murdered in Jamaica, like when the three blind oh guys murdered that one guy. Yeah, it's, and, it's and very, I got to tell you, I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Um, but this is Ian Fleming, Fleming recycling zone stuff, so uh, I guess. But but it's weird because they're supposed to be Greek, but their you know last name is Havelock in in both in the movie and in the book, and it's like that's not a Greek name, but whatever. <laughs> um, and. You know, Melina survives the attack, and she's like, "I'm going to get revenge against whoever did this." So, um, yeah. And I'm trying to think of anything in this kind of opening sequences, if you noticed uh, or have any thoughts on. So, um, this is like already the music hasn't kicked in and made anything bad yet, but there was a distinct lack of atmosphere during this, so I hadn't picked up on it. But it wasn't until later when, like, I think, I think it was probably the skiing scene where I was like, "Okay, I know what's wrong," but, <laughs> but all of these things that have happened so far should have had this sort of James Bond atmosphere, and it didn't feel like it did. And also, just Bond, Bond felt more like a like a machine moving through this movie than yeah. like a like a person. Yeah, I mean, he kind of does feel like he's going through the flow a little bit. Yeah, um, and that could have been the fact that, and we'll talk about you know, more kind of behind the scenes controversies was uh, Roger Moore was reluctant to come back at this point. And right. he was kind of, uh, you know, asked to, you know, basically beg to do so. And so I think that kind of factors into his performance a little bit. And the fact that they went, the new director who wanted to maybe go in a different direction, a little more darker story. Um, and that's why I think he kind of feels like he's going through the flow a little bit more um, where I think he enjoys the goofier side of things more and not so much this kind of darker because this feels definitely like a dalton or pierce brosnan type of movie almost in some ways uh oh see that's interesting because i i agree with that on um like the structure and sort of like what's happening in the movie and the way they approach things like with the amount of cue there is but the thing that makes a lot of the pierce brosnan stuff work so well is like all of the gadgets and the tech and this isn't like a dating because it's just like back then technology was only, you know, could be so good. They could only make certain kinds of gadgets also as props. 
but I think that was like the, basically the two biggest complaints I would have would be like a lack, know, of, lack of gadgets. Yeah. But also the like all of the tech they showed was bad. Yeah, it wasn't there was not really any good tech. You know, like the all. scene where they're like making the face. Like you, it would have been better with a sketch artist, and also it looked really yeah. poor. Like they could have, yeah. they could have drummed up some kind of fake tech that, like, the fax would like, like, like they could have had like a fax machine p- printing out these like photorealistic things, or you know, th- there's a million ways they could have done it with the technology they had at the time. But instead, it was like a light bright. I, and and the face they start off with basically looks like the face they end up with at the end. Yeah, it and just... it seems like they were there for hours too yeah. to get it right, um, <laughs> which was I think pretty funny no wider um, nose and i was just like what <laughs> yeah and then like, q like makes a pinocchio nose yeah. it's like q stop fucking around and it's like that's that's where and again i i don't necessarily like uh, i don't actively dislike the movie but like it was just missing like all of these things are like good ideas that like it was missing all of the cool factor it was just like they let the nerdiest person make this like that didn't understand like why people like the charm like what like it was missing the magic yeah, well, I think the people sometimes do like the more when Bond's kind of a blunt instrument and it's more actiony versus being gadgets. It's kind of like there's been so many movies that you totally. see this ebb and flow of, but but most like, of the action was things. was not as good as some of the action we've seen in other movies. Is the thing? No, no, I think I think definitely, but I think there are some good moments that are put together well and edited well. Um, That's true about this, um, and. You know, I, this this whole pool party stuff here. When when Bond goes to basically, I I think he's in, like. Oh, actually, before we dive into that, the other thing I want to bring up was the fact that there's no M in this movie, right? Um, which is probably why we have so much Q. Yes, and so the reason why I, at first I thought it was a little weird because in the story, it's really based around M because M knew the people that got murdered in this short story and sends Bond on this sort of off the book mission, and that's why it's called For Your Eyes Only. Though it is funny that um, in the in the movie they stamp that like lettering onto the file, so it's like yeah. for your eyes only. So if I pick it up, is it for my eyes only, or like like they don't really specify whose eyes is it for? It's only. I'll be honest. My favorite part, and this is the last like joking mean joke about the movie I'm gonna make. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> my favorite part about the movie was after I rented it, I got an email that was like. It was like your receipt for your eyes only. And I was just like, oh, I was like, what is this email? <laughs> it was like regarding your order for your eyes only. I'm like, oh, did I? What did I buy? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, right, right. James Bond. OK. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it just it was like I was like, this is the most interesting email subject I've had in a long time. <laughs> you're you're going to start. You should start writing that with your um, subject matter for all your emails. <laughs> just for all emails. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, but the it, thing I was going to say, though, with M, unfortunately, so Bernard Lee died in prep uh, of this movie. Okay. And so instead of recasting, they decided to kind of, you know, honor the role by basically filling in with Tanner and the, and the defense minister and Q, essentially, kind of took over those roles um, in a way. That makes until sense. Until they recast it in the next movie. That makes sense. But, Which yeah, I think yeah. that also then helps me feel like I get – because – with so much Q and Q, Q and the gadgets and stuff is like definitely one of my favorite things about Bond for me. Um, there, there's uh, I was like, we got so much of him, but none of it was like great stuff. No. So then it just made it feel worse because I was like, we're getting so much Q, and I always want like, give me, give me, get, let him show up throughout the movie. Always throwing Bond like new tools, like let's have that happen. But instead, it was just like also, none of it kind of was top Q is... quality. Uh, yeah. What kind of device though? is if someone breaks the window of your lotus it just detonates <laughs> like, uh, i thought that was so funny and so ridiculous because like sees the guy smashes the window and it just explodes <laughs> like what if a baseball like r- rams through it or you know he accidentally taps another car just he's driving it and a rock hits the windshield <laughs> it just explodes it's not good. It, it seems it seems like an extreme countermeasure to car theft. Yeah. Also, it just means there's explosives wired into his car. So even if it's not, even if it's like it's an alarm security system, so it wouldn't happen while he's in it. It's like, well, yeah, but if someone shoots his car and hits the explosives, I've heard that because at the time, like car theft was pretty high around the world, that it was kind of a joke to be like, let's blow up a car thief, essentially. 
I like that. Someone smashing a window. So I think it's a little bit of an ex- extreme uh, reaction. You've had your car um, stolen, so I feel like you you can you're like yeah. yeah I, I, I applauded during this time. <laughs> yes, yeah. this happened. Um, I stood up and cheered in my night. Hell yeah. Um, so in the pool party, this is where we meet Locke and all those other people. Um, one other thing. Uh, this is the first one of the women at the pool party is a trans woman, and they didn't know it at the time um, until later. So they were like everyone was fooled. That's how. Uh, well, uh, well, it was. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I mean, uh, none of the swimsuits in the scene look great, but you know, I think I don't know. I don't know what I'm, point I'm making. I'm just saying it's probably easy. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I'm just gonna let you keep talking, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is an interesting film fact, though. Yeah, it is, it is an interesting film fact. Um, Good for I her. I love how, like, after Gonzalez gets shot with an arrow, diving in the pool, and like Bond is like fighting some guys with an umbrella. Like, I like how Locke, who has no dialogue in this movie. Right. Just, he's just sits he's, there. He's like a worse Jaws. <laughs> he's, wor- like, he's more of a, like, I don't know how to describe him, but he is basically a very uh, equal to Bond in the sense that he is, like, sort of an agent, but an agent for nobody. Like, an eight, you know, like right. he's a hired agent, basically, that will... But he has almost almost a very similar skills set to Bond. Um, but I just like it in this movie how like he just does a lot of sitting and staring. Um, and my probably because he's after- not like a great actor, and they were like, "Well, we just need a big dude." Yeah, no, I think they, like he's a very intimidating looking face, uh, and he kind of looks. But at the same time, he also looks a little like John Denver, which is very like a friendly face. Um, yeah, so that's he kind of has this, he doesn't like, look like a monster. But he looks like an everyday person, and that makes him yeah. seem like he could blend in, whereas, like, Jaws can't blend in at all. That's fair. You, you know. So, I I think that's interesting. But um, I, I, did, I just, like, after they give the uh, the money to Gonzalez, and after he dies, he takes the money back and then grabs that one stack of bills from the woman, and she just, like, cries when <laughs> he takes it back from her. <laughs> Like, she's not worried about, like, the gunfight that's happening. She's just like, oh, no, my money. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I And I actually like this car chase in the in the little Cintron thing, little yellow car. Yeah, this down is fun. It was all fun. Yeah. Um, I loved how the bus blocks the, the road, and they're, like, arguing, and then the guy pulls out the gun and fire. And he's like, okay, fine, we're backing up, we're backing up. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. Um, what do you think of Melina? Carol Bouquet is Melina. Um... Hmm. On a list of like recent Bond girls, because so many of the earlier ones are problematic in a variety of ways, I'd say she's a better one, right? Yeah. She feels capable in a way that yeah, she's a they crossbow. Don't. She's great. yeah. So I think all of that was pretty cool. Um, but also like I felt like she was kind of like much of this movie. She didn't have the it factor for me. You know, well, I think the problem is also the fact that she's opposite of Roger Moore. I think she's like 19 in this movie. Wow, and he's got to be like 50. I think yeah. by this point. Um, did you know that Roger Moore was older than Sean Connery when he did uh, *Live and Let Die*? <laughs> Roger Moore is older than Sean Connery, so like it wow. was weird that like it was funny watching *Diamonds Are Forever* and how like old. Sean Connery looked, and yet, uh, you know, Roger Moore was way much actually a year older than him. So he just aged more gracefully in some ways, but by this point, it was weird. And so, oh, I think yeah. that for Melina, it's like I think she's actually a pretty cool Bond girl. Mm-hmm. And I really wish they didn't have that tag scene at the end of them like kissing and they kept it yeah. like a very almost a platonic relationship. Yes, like that he was almost like a mentor to her. That I th- I liked that angle that they were kind of going with because when they first meet, and after he saves her, he kind of like tells her the thing about like, oh, like if you're out for revenge, just remember like as the Chinese said, like you have to dig two graves before you seek out revenge and stuff. And so he's like trying to like, you know, teach her kind of the, what like kind of based on his experiences of doing getting revenge and all this stuff. And so I did all like that. It's just when they add in the part that he like I, he has to get with the girl at the end, it's just weird because it is like a dad daughter relationship so but so this is where and i completely agree with you this is where i was like i think that like my problem with when i watch this movie 
because this is the first time I've ever seen it, is um, just like I have a variety of expectations with James Bond, and a lot of them weren't met. So even though it wasn't a great movie, like it just felt like worse than it actually is. It's actually not a bad movie at all. Um, I also don't think it's a bad Bond movie because they, they do, I mean, the thing I've been saying in previous episodes, which is like, I want more spy stuff. Um, so like they do that, but the expectation that like, oh, he, he's like lost this love and it's a part of his thing and he's still kind of mourning it. It's like, I love the idea that they can set that expectation and it means that like for the rest of the movie, there is no love interest for Bond. So he can have this like different kind of relationship with the women that are going to be in the movie and they can be more than just a sexual object for him. And yet they still screwed it up like at the end. And I was kind of disappointed by that. Yeah. I feel like giving him one relationship, which which was nice with the Countess. I think he had like a sort of a genuine connection there. Um, So when then she dies, it's like, okay, that like, at least he got a little bit of action here and I don't need him. A little bit more you know, age appropriate. Yeah, and and I think that I think that works. Whereas like the other two girls in this uh, uh, in this movie are literally girls and are just way too young for the situation. And it's and I, I, let's just get BB out of the way here. Um, once so Bond goes to uh, I think Italy. It's like northern Italy um, where he meets his uh, connection there, Ferrara. Um, and then meets our main, ultimately, what we realize is the main villain, which is Christatos, yes, uh, played by Julian Glover. Who do you do you recognize him? I didn't. I did not. So he plays. He's the um, the ATAT commander in Empire Strikes Back. He's like, Just get out of here. This should be down in moments. So you may prepare your landing. That's um, awesome. And then, he, and then he's the main villain in um, the Last Crusade. That's pretty good. So he's got. He, he's had some good roles as villains in the 80s um but yeah so julian grover's great um this christados but then then we had they just had to have this whole storyline with bb the skater and this whole olympics thing because olympics were hot at the time people loved it i guess so this is, this is the weakest part of the movie it's it, whole... it is it is and this is where like i started taking a turn on everything because <laughs> it's like with the skiing i saw the skis come out i was like here we go here we go ski chase scene and like, dude, that is some Bond bread and butter right there. But boy, did they kind of botch it. It was, it was not like you didn't like how Bond did a trick ski like twirl to like knock some guys out. I don't know. Is it funny. Tomorrow Never Dies where they do the skiing in uh, for well, Pierce so Brosnan? They, so they've done skiing before in Honor Magic Secret Service. Yeah, but that was the first time they did it, and then they do it again here, and then it's the world is not enough. Is the other one? World's not enough. That one, that one is awesome. It's better because like he's being chased by like wind fan things, and... but also it doesn't just look like people in like that era clothing with like colorful like you know yeah. th- it was like a squad of like military skiers going after Bond and this was just like he got he got into a fight with like the it was like a like an eighty ski movie like <laughs> like scuffle. Oh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely it's it's jumping in on the on the craze of skiing at this time yeah. and. And and Roger Moore from like a lot of these movies, it's so so funny just how aggressive they use stuntmen instead of him. You know, it's I like mean, he was old. I I know, but it's just funny how they're 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 just like yeah, we're gonna do these whole sequences, and it's just gonna be clearly not Roger Moore. It's like yeah. just a stuntman, and they don't care. It's like it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and it, the thing about it is like. Most of the stunts were, I mean, it was like they went across like a family dinner outside. I don't also don't understand what really the plot was at this point. What was going on? Like it kind of felt I'm like. I'm glad you said he, that because that's what I, I was. Because it the wasn't same thing. really, it was like it was treading water really. Once you meet Christados and you kind of explain and kind of you meet him and he talked about this other character named Columbo, you're like. Okay, when are we gonna meet? When are we gonna get to Colombo? And then they just go through this whole, you know, Olympic ski sequence, where they introduce like this guy Hans Wolf, and you see Tywin Lannister as one of the goons chasing them. There's this whole, the whole like, like massive jump part, which I don't know what Tywin's yeah, plan was. And, there, and, but to see, jump and with that's them. the thing. It's like it should have been done differently. There should have been like a time factor, like there's a bomb at the top and that'll cause an avalanche, or like he needs to get yeah, this like thing Locke down is to the bottom and... to like 
a terrorist attack on this Olympic village at this time, and Bond's got to yeah. stop it. But yeah, instead, it was it was like there he is, get him, sort of a, like <laughs> yeah, like I I didn't really understand why Bond was there, and also like Locke was there too, and they were playing this kind of Tom and Jerry cat and mouse type of like situation where like. And that's 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 I think where this movie is like this. I think the skiing scene is everything that is like wrong with the movie, because I think yeah. this whole thing is like conceptually on paper. They're like, all right, we're going to do some cool set pieces. The Olympics are going to be on around this time. Skiing is hot. We could have like a cool thing. It's in Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's awesome. Great. But then they get there and like when that started, the music kicked on. And the first, like, few notes in the music, too, are, like, really, like, almost like a children's song. And I was like, yeah, what's happening here? And there's like, okay, no, it's cool, though, because there'll be, like, there's definitely going to be a jump. There's got to be a big jump. There's going to be, like, a couple, all right, let's go. I like skiing. And then it was just, it was, like, hit and miss, hit and miss, hit and miss um, with the whole thing, which I think that's why I'm annoyed. Because it could have cool been awesome. Was I just think the way it was edited and like paced, I think was done well. It's just like the actual content wasn't that interesting. Like, yeah, I actually thought like when they're going down the bobsled and like you see that bike going down the bobsled, I'm like that's actually pretty cool, like of a right. as, like a as a stunt trick, but like doesn't really add anything. And, and that was the thing. It was like they got that right, and then they immediately get something wrong, and then they get something right, and then they get something wrong, and it was just kind of like it's like ah, it's hard to just stay invested in this right now. Yeah. And so what they should have done is, like, probably rework this or cut it and got to the whole Columbo stuff sooner because I love Columbo. And he's great in this movie, played by Topol, who people recognize, know him from Fiddle on the Roof. Um, I like how he just seems drunk in this whole movie. <laughs> like It was hard to understand what he was saying. <laughs> yeah, because he has this kind of deep, grovelly voice, and he just but seems kind of fun-loving and just, like, enjoys yeah. life. Um you know, and like that was all kind of fun, but um, yeah, it there. It, yeah, I love Topol. And it, the this storyline, the whole Cristados versus Columbo, is taken from another short story in the series in the series of short stories from this oh, is it? only series. So there's another one called Rosico, and that's basically the exact thing is lifted, where it's like he goes to um, you know investigate this thing and like meets. Christados, who says like oh Columbo's the one like funneling heroin to England and then he gets captured by Columbo and Columbo's like no actually it's Christados is the one he set you up I can help you blah 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 so um so yeah so basically they pulled these two for from a view to uh four years only and Rosico and, and created this main story basically it was pulled everything there um but yeah so I I, I like to this dynamic I like when a movie tricks you into thinking oh the villain is one guy and then you don't realize that until you know it flips and it's like oh the guy that you initially because our intelligence was bad he's actually the really bad guy yeah you know he's the one after the attack um but yeah what 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 do you think of this dynamic and do you think of colombo i mean i think colombo brought a lot of flavor to the movie right because at this point i mean the women in the movie were good but because Bond was lacking charisma, the interactions didn't work the way you traditionally want them to. And I'm not even talking about there being like a sexual relationship between them. It's just like he wasn't smooth necessarily and he wasn't. So Columbo being this sort of like a weird guy character, um, it like suddenly made Bond. It was actually like when Columbo's there, Bond suddenly felt kind of cooler because he seemed like like such an oddball. That like Bond being sort of a serious guy suddenly seemed cooler. Yeah, he's odd, but he's also almost like a M like figure too. To, yeah, to Bond in a way, like he because he like is more experienced in the area and in that world. It's like he is a mentor to some degree. Um, yeah, and and we've seen these type of characters before with like Karen Bay and uh, from Russia with Love and some of these other movies where we have this type of character kind of show up. And so it's always nice to see it. And without having M here, it is good to have someone kind of fill in that role, especially for the yeah. last second half of the movie. hundred percent. Um, before he gets captured by Columbo though, that's where we get the whole, like um, he's like having dinner with Christados and like um, Bon woos, the Baroness, uh, von Schlaff, uh, who is at the time was married to Pierce Brosnan. 
Ooh. And that's how he, yep, she was she was a little bit older than him uh, at the time, and she brought him to set, and that's how Bond, uh, the producers were like had their eye on Pierce Brosnan to take over the role. What eventually. year did this come out? 1981. So Bond, uh, Pierce Brosnan was very young at this point, and Damn. I think he had, and he, I think he had just, I forget when Remington T- Steele started, but he was kind of an emerging actor. Wow. Um, and well, you know, I think we can revisit it later, but essentially he was supposed to take over after Roger Moore in like 87. But then at the last second, his contract with NBC got renewed and he couldn't do the movies. And that's where they went with Timothy Dalton. So he was actually supposed to be much earlier. So by the time he does eventually take over Bond, it's about almost 10 years past when they wanted to actually have him start. He's I had no idea. Younger. Yeah. So, but that, that's yeah. So he was married fact. to. To Alicia von Schlaff is the thing. So she was okay. She was interesting. Um, she gets an unsimilar death by dune buggy, though, um, which was kind of brutal. It's a brutal way to kill somebody. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not a fun way to die. Yeah, but, like, usually you won't see it, and they, like, really show it. Yeah, I guess, I mean, a lot of the ways people die in this movie are weird, I think, for James Bond. Which yeah. I'm just thinking about, like, the cliffside stuff. Yeah, I mean, that stuff is cool when we get to it. But it was cool, I, but it was weird the way it was executed on film. I liked it. I'm not saying I did not like it. I'm not saying I did not like it. I like everything about this last weekend. I was, like, for most well, wait, of the movie... we got to talk was... about Q. Okay. He's what, in a he confessional. A yeah, when he's a priest. Like, <laughs> and this is, like, again, this was, like, this reinforced me. And I'm just like, What's that? What, is, what are you doing here? What is this? This seems like a joke. This seems like a thing out of Austin Powers almost, which I get it. Like, it's a clever spy move. It's a clever spy move, but um, Q absolutely did not supply him with some some new tools. Yeah, it it does feel like they're in a comedy versus like an actual action adventure movie. Yeah. So that, that, and that, because they just met there, right? And now he's going to go scale this cliff. That is part of the problem I have with the cliff scaling was like, gosh. Anyone should be able to scale this cliff. In fact, one of these guys from this area should be better at, like, rock climbing than James Bond. Like, <laughs> there's no reason James Bond should be, like, a good rock climber. So Hey, he, he's the best at everything, apparently. But, like, um, man, wouldn't it have been cooler if instead of him, like, slowly chiseling the thing into the, like, mountain as he first starts to scale it, like, before the actual action sequence starts, which the action sequence is good, I had... I didn't enjoy like the scaling of it as much because it felt like this was such an obvious place for them to do like a small tool. There could have had any kind of small piece of technology to give Bond a leg up so that it was more believable that A, he would have been scaling the mountain and that B, that like he'd be able to do it. Nope. Like instead of him chiseling it in, they could have given him some kind of like this gun will fire the things right into the mountain silently for you. And he's just like, Foomp. Like, they could have done something like that. They could have given him, like, a little clip thing that would, like, help him climb it. I don't know. I felt like, like, because we just had Q, I, when I saw him sitting there and he's pulling his shoelaces out, I was like, is he James Bond or is he MacGyver? Because he should have a cool tool to use right now. Or he yeah. should have had one first. And that was that was my only problem with it, with that part. I see. I, I think they were just going for a very realistic portrayal. Um, but that does make me bring up one thing of, the one thing I don't, like about these movies often where Roger Moore's Bond he's never like explained anything to him he always explains everything like someone's like Bond what do you know about the ATAC system he's like and then he and then he lists out everything about it as if he's studied the night before right and as a spy his whole thing is like to trade in information so he's supposed to be acquiring information a lot instead of just telling people stuff like no one and so any point in the movie when they need to like move something along he just automatically knows like what something means like nobody yeah. another character ever has to explain to him what it is um and then that cue scene like you said not only is it just kind of a weird joke that doesn't make any sense but then it's like he's looking for this place called saint cyril and Q's like there's over 300 locations like q is no help like he could have just sent a radio broadcast being like hey like no go there's like 300 locations and then bond's like well, I know somebody. Columbo will help me. I'm like, well, why didn't you just go to Columbo in the first place? Like, no need to include Q in this in this whole situation unless he's going to bring you a gadget that you can then 
and that's and that's like I think I think the abundance of Q and it's just for me because I like Q so much, but also like the abundance of him and it was like unnecessary. It just made Q not like this like cool like when Q shows up, you're like, this is it. We're gonna see some cool thing that we know like doesn't actually exist and can't and like it's gonna be dope and James Bond's gonna use it later and instead he was just like comedy relief so James Bond had someone to talk to to like like almost do a little exposition uh and yeah. force him to go work with the crossbow people but but the actual like once they get there and they do like i mean i liked i did like the whole like um you know the, the guy hears something and then the bird the the stupid doves <laughs> the bird yeah. goes out and it's like and he goes and looks over the edge and then they're just like no don't move don't move and he's like okay and i was like oh this feels like golden eye like when you're playing the video game and you have the stealth yeah missions. it's like he's got a sneak there's like high tension yeah. And then it's like he gets found out, he gets pushed off, he like is dangling there. It's He's like lucky he went against a, a bad villain cuz any smart person would have just shot the rope. Oh yeah, or at least go warned everybody too. Yeah. Like the other guards. Like he he was not a great <laughs> henchman. Uh he broke all the rules of henchmening. Oh yeah. Um, and but he has a glorious death of being uh you know, stabbed by a throwing knife and falling off into the <laughs> And when when Bond's hanging there and he uses the shoelace and he's like trying to climb up and everything, that's when I was just like, man, I, it would have been cool if they had a way for him to put stuff into the thing or climb this easier. But if anything, this should have been it. Like, like maybe he like he should have had a thing to help yeah. save him here because that's yeah. like the James yeah. Bond advantage is the fact that he's a part of MI six that he has these tools. It's like he's really good. And the bad guys sometimes have people that are just as good as he is, but like he has the intelligence and the technology, yeah, like, to edge, edge them out every time. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I'll, I'll agree with that point. I think we it could have been better in some ways. I just you know you can't you know knock the like awesome adventure wear that everyone's wearing in these scenes, both on the good guys oh, and yeah, the no. bad guys. Everyone's like just looks stylish as hell. When yeah, they go into battle here and the crossbows. Um, the crossbow's great. I love how they shoot that guy. They don't kill him. And then they tie him <laughs> up. And then it's still so funny because the guy's like, and then like Columbo right before he leaves just knocks him out with the butt of his gun. <laughs> just for no reason. <laughs> Even though he could have done that before. Uh, but I, I love this location. It's cool. Um, just this yeah, like weird monastery on top of this giant rock. Um, you know, I, the... You know, I think maybe the the final kind of battle stuff could have been a little more interesting. Like this Hans Wolf guy suddenly has like super strength when he like pulls that stone out of the wall and is gonna like smash Bond with it. I'm like, where did he get this? And that like, that's where I was like, he's Jaws like because he does look yeah. like an everyman and he's a big dude, but he's not massive. But they like yeah. shot him and had him carry himself as if he was like giant, yeah, giant and huge. Man, yeah. I did like when he had the candelabra. Like that was a good. And I was yeah, like, oh, like this using is that to like defend him. Yeah. Yeah. I was into I was into that scene. I thought that was fine. Yeah. That all stuff was cool. And then like Columbo and Cristados like do, going at it of like like two old men on the staircase yeah. like <laughs> fighting. Um, and then I, I did like the like, you know, she wants to do to kill him at the end with a crossbow. But then Columbo's the one at the end that ultimately like gets him in the back. Um, right. Which is cool. Um, we see the, the so this Russian guy that shows up to buy it. Um, he's in, I think. A couple of other movies he's in the spy who loved me and stuff so he's like a reoccurring like he's like the m uh, russian version of m um that keeps showing up and i think they you know it, it's kind of funny how they, they show this at the end here where i you know they want to sh- show the, mo- the, pr- the movie wants to show that like the russians actually aren't that bad they're just like a, an opposing force but they're not right. necessarily evil they're just they're just like us and so when bond throws the atac off the cliff and he's like not yours, not mine, blah, blah, blah. And then he's just like, ha. Huh. It's like, tip my hat to you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was funny. Yeah, I do think, I think once you get to the cliffside scene from there on, there's less mistakes. Like, so it does wrap up better than it starts. Yeah. I think, I think, I just liked all about it. I think, yes, I think maybe in, including one gadget that helps Bond get out of that that cliffhanger situation i think would have been i think pretty good um and and or even more people even if there was someone else 
who was supposed to do the climb because like you know James hasn't done it and he was showing him how to do it and it's like Bond follow me and like that guy falls and Bond saw how he fell so he's like okay well I learned how to do this I'm a train like there just needed to be something I felt about it that made James Bond James Bond because in the end he didn't even like really stop the guy the guy killed himself by falling off and he just like marginally escapes fall like so it it just felt like like there wasn't a good cool thing he did there yeah um yeah yeah but i think he did kind of help pave the you know get up there and help get the basket so the basket yeah okay well uh, you know what he did a good cool thing he didn't do anything exceptional and that's like sort of what his 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 thing is is he does like he has these exceptional moments so that maybe is a better way to say it but yeah no I, i get i get it um yeah um other random things actually i forgot to bring up so you know like the whole underwater stuff when they're like searching the boat oh i um, actually like this stuff i thought like that maybe they blew kind of their budget here yeah the, there's something <laughs> interesting if you noticed all the close-ups of the actors so for i think like carol bouquet she had like some sort of sinus issue in which she couldn't be underwater some deep Weird. pressure so all her all her shots you if you look notice they're just filmed on a certain way and like with a fan and so their hair is kind of moving like a fan way and like they make it seem like they're underwater for those close-ups but they're not actually underwater so i was i, I remember hearing about that and reading about that and then watching this time i'm like oh yeah it's pretty obvious <laughs> but didn't know didn't know if you noticed that uh it looked weird i thought it was some kind of green screen trickery which i guess it is i had no idea why um but yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking like, well, maybe they just couldn't get the cameras on or, you know, to do the thing they needed to, or like it was like a pickup, but it did yeah. look weird with her, especially. Yeah. It looked like they were in some sort of like Disneyland, like Finding Nemo set, like underwater. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Some weird thing going on. Um, and then when they get captured by Christados and are going to be dragged across the ocean for the sharks to eat them, um, that's pulled from Live and Let Die, the book. Um, that's what happens to them in that where it's like the uh, Mr. Big cuts spawn, so he's bleeding, and then it'll attract all the sharks, and they're going to like just drag him to the coral reef so they basically get eaten alive. Which I'm here for, man. Which is great. I think it's a great story point. Um, it's awesome. So that one, that one guy who gets his like nuts bit off by a shark, did you see that? The one, the one goon that falls in the water? I was like, he, man, that shark goes straight for the, the grotch. I was like, ooh. I, I do think, like, whoever made Austin Powers, I think there was a lot of, like, influence specifically from this movie. With just, like, the sharks, I, the way, like, the lo- villain's, like, lot maniacally the... laughing in this sort of, like, cha- like wheelchair, like, fiddling with yes. Bond and the copter. And there's just, a like, lot a of lot Roger of... Moore stuff, definitely. A lot of movies. Because yeah. I think we said this in Moonraker. A lot of elements are very goofy like that. Um, but I love Moonraker. <laughs> like, Again, because I, I think it's like because it's so over the top, you're just kind of like, okay, yeah. we're no longer in like, it's not really a spy movie anymore. It's just this weird space movie, like adventure. And um, I think I think it just felt like they never, um, I feel like they were sincere about it is why it also yeah. worked. And some of this felt like Bond himself felt like like he was just kind of like I can't believe I'm still doing this job. Like I, if yeah. he had said like I'm getting too old for this, I would have been like, like his character could have said that in this movie. <laughs> and I love how they keep repeating the beat. This, the movie ends on this, where after Bond completes his mission, it's like headquarters is so adamant about like doing some sort of public event with him, in which he checks in. And in Moonraker, it was like, oh, we're going to broadcast down to, like, the people and show you what on the space show. And it's like him just having sex with Holly Goodhead. And here, it's like, oh, it's like, we're going to patch you into the prime minister to Margaret Thatcher. And they get this, you know, Margaret Thatcher impersonator to, like, and she's talking to a bird. And you're like, eh, not that, not as funny. Yeah. Not, a, not doesn't work as well. We need, we need a good sex pun at the end of these things sometimes. Um Though it's like again, I don't want it because I don't want him to be with Melina. So right. like we don't we don't in this case we don't need this beat here at the end. Um, no, we don't. <laughs> also, the fact that like the 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 finale is set up because Bond he, like the bird talks. <laughs> that we forgot to talk about that, but that that's a little 
that feels like a screenwriter working their way out of like a problem. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, how do fair. we like? But you don't really need to. It's like they could have just Topol could have just been like, or Colombo could have just been like, oh, I know where he's gonna go to like sell the thing. Like, yeah, it it'll go to like the place that we, like, is impenetrable. It's like a castle. So blah blah blah. But we don't need that. And so yeah. But instead, we get this dumb bird. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, any other final thoughts? As no, we wrap but this up? I'll say if you're listening to this to decide whether or not you want to go watch this one, I wouldn't say you shouldn't watch it. Like, I don't I think, think it's, I think it's bad. A good, I think it's a good Bond movie of, of Bond movies to watch. And it, it, I like it because for Roger Moore, he gives you a lot of goof and a lot of camp in the movies that are kind of wild and out there. And this is an interesting grounded version of roger moore yeah which that's fair has some problems and it isn't the best bond movie but it's not to me not the worst either nope uh speaking of which i feel like like are we are we about to like just mainline some duds what's next so actually i don't know if it's the dud but so in the short story universe because now that i realize that for your eyes only is actually a collection of stories um there's two other other titles here that um, ended up being made into movies so the other other two are quantum of solace and uh, from a view to a kill um so we're gonna do it in that order um just so we don't do two roger moore's back to back yeah um so we're gonna jump to back to daniel craig um, i'm excited about it to quantum solace yeah uh which is kind of it's more of a sequel direct sequel to casino royale because it kind of picks up directly after casino royale and is kind of sort of part of the mr white specter though at this point they didn't have the rights yet so they couldn't call it specter so they call it quantum um but it's an interesting title um that they took for this um it has nothing to do the the story that is the short story quantum solace has nothing to do with what they ultimately that's amazing the movie. They that's amazing the title. um but it is a cool it's a cool title it is a cool title. I had no idea it was the title of an actual Bond thing. I thought that it was, you know, wholly unique, kind of like the movie is in many ways. But I haven't seen it since it was in theaters. I really don't remember anything about it except I think there's an oil lady instead of a gold lady. Yes. And that is the only thing I remember. So I'm actually really excited to see this movie. Yeah, we'll dive into some things about it. But it's the, one, it's the movie that was, um, it was during the writer strike. So they couldn't finish the script or at least they got it to the place where they wanted to. So Craig and the director were kind of writing on the fly themselves as they were making it. So a lot, it does feel pretty weak on story. Um, though it does the one thing that I wish they did in this four eyes only, which is bond doesn't bed the main bond girl in that one. They kind of remain platonic. And that's partially because of the fact that in the previous movie, in this one, it's almost like he's starting out like with the death of a loved one you know yeah except it has the appropriate effect that i would have wanted this movie to have so so that actually just saying that alone makes me even more excited to watch this movie yeah so anyways um anything else want to end with you can find me at christian underscore humes and here on watch world next week with john awesome we'll see you next time